Now this morning I want to read some verses, the fourth chapter of the Acts of the Apostles, and just talk to you out of my heart. And as they spake unto the people, and the priests, and the captains of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men were about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, as many as that were of the kindred of the high priest, were gathered together of Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power, or by what name, have ye done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost, said unto them, Ye rulers of the people, and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined for the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole? Be it known unto you all, and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation any other name, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we can be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. I read through the 14th verse of the 4th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. I want you to notice especially this verse. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, uh, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You remember the story that precedes this. Peter and John went up to the temple at the hour of prayer. Just an ordinary prayer meeting. I spoke to you the other day on what do you do when you have nothing to do. I talked to you about Paul in Athens while he was waiting for his associates to come. Had a little time on his hands. He is waiting for his pianist to get there, figuratively speaking. He's waiting for the singer to arrive. He's waiting for the tabernacle to be built, waiting for the tent to be erected, waiting for the time. That's the way we'd look at it probably. But Paul set up his gospel tent as soon as he got to town. He never had to wait for anything because he kept busy on the job. And Paul, when he had nothing special to do, started a revival and a controversy and led some people to Jesus Christ. Now today I want you to think along this line for a minute. The ordinary routine, the sacredness of the ordinary routine. There wasn't anything spectacular about going to this prime meeting. Just ordinary occasion. Just, they had a date there with God, that's all. Bell had rung. Started in a few minutes. Peter and John said, uh, well, we have a date. And maybe one of them said, where? Why, uh, with God. Prime meeting time. And we must keep the date. They went. And they got their own time. 
I know they did. I never knew God Almighty to use a lazy loafer in my life. I've never known God to use for very long any man that wasn't on time. You take if you are not on time, you're going to be left in the shuffle in this day and night. So they got there, just ordinary prayer meeting. What a good excuse they had not to go. I can imagine Peter saying, uh, John, you know, going to be an awfully tame meeting. Old brother so-and-so will be there. I know he prays the same prayer all the time. And you know how it is. Eh? They've almost worn me out of many a time. Same old prayer. I remember out in the country where they'd get out and we'd come to you before, the, before you and the ominous manner we have been taught on bended knee. We'd come to you confessing that we've done what we shouldn't have done, left undone what we should have done. Same old prayer. Awfully tame, isn't it? Just ordinary. But most of life's like that. Most of it's routine. You'll have to look at the same wife maybe for years. Half fixed the same way. Sit down at the same place at the table. Eat the same old food over and over. You'll have a little variety, but not much variety in this day. Same old routine. Businessmen live that way. Office at a certain time. School teachers, classes at a certain time. Routine. But you know, when you begin to think of the sacredness of routine, it isn't bad. So they got there. There was a man. What an opportunity. I'd like to preach a sermon sometimes on the big things that's been done while men were following the ordinary routine of life. And this man said, uh, gentlemen, will you help me? They said, well, we haven't any money. We are broke. We didn't get any offering at the last campaign we had. Really went in the hole. We're up against it and having any money, you know. We got something much better than money. Listen, if you're a Christian, you've got something better than money. You're going to get a degree here tomorrow, Wednesday. But if you have Jesus Christ, you have something much better than a diploma. So many things in this world that men don't value much that are very valuable. We forget sometimes these things. So he said... Uh, we got something better than money. We can fix you where you can make some money. We can get you where you can hold a job. Say, isn't it wonderful what God does for men even in this world? Takes a drunkard and sobers him up. Takes some man that's no good and makes somebody out of it. Name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk in the man, got up and went to the temple, leaping and bounding and praising God. Create quite a sensation. You thought everybody would have been for that, wouldn't you? You know, young people, uh, the devil's not against you because you do bad. It's because you do good. The devil's not against this school because it's a bad school. He's against it because it's a good school. If this institution was a little log house out here, and we had one corner with a dance hall, and if we had a smoking room in another end of it, and if we let folks live their own lives here, and said nothing about Jesus Christ, nobody would be fighting us. They'd say, isn't that a pretty big undertaking out, John? Suppose you're going to put dough. If we were running a school out here for training dogs, there wouldn't be anybody against us. The society women would come out here and look at our dogs. They'd bring their own little dogs with their hair curled and their tails tied up in ribbons. Nobody would object to... If we were training racehorses out here, we wouldn't have any opposition. 
Devil's not against racehorses. Devil has no special animosity against dogs. But you wait a minute. You set up a Christian program and announce to the world that you are on the side of Jesus Christ and you have to take on his enemies. This world is no friend of Jesus Christ. Never has been. He came from heaven to earth, and the last time the wicked world ever saw him, he was on a cross. He was never seen by saved man after he rose from the dead. The last look that this wicked world ever got at its only perfect character, he was naked on a cross, and the men that were crucifying were gambling for his garment. Don't believe in, I believe in my fellow man. Well, I don't know why. I believe in trusting everybody. You do. Human nature is the same today. It hasn't changed. You line up for Jesus, you'll take on his enemies. But I'd rather have his enemies and have what he can give me than to be on the other side. So, he healed the fellow. Got him on his feet. You know, I told the student just some time ago, I've always wished I could have been at home that night when that boy came in. I can imagine sitting around the fireside and the mother said to one of the boys, said, you better go up the temple and get John. He said, Mother, you just always sing about John. But said, Son, John is a... John's a... Your poor brother's a cripple. Well, I know, Mother, but... I don't want to go. Now, I'll go. Now, listen, son. Go on up yonder and get your brother. Suppose you were up there. Well, I'll go, but I don't see why I can't wait a little while. And about that time, you hear some fella come whistling down the sidewalk, skipping, running, jumping. And he hits the door and comes in and falls in the arms of his mother. And can't you imagine his mother saying, My darling boy, how, how did it happen? But well, said, Mother, you know the reason I can walk? There were two people that went to the place of prayer today. And I can walk because they went to prayer meeting. If you want to make cripples walk, you can't neglect the place of prayer. The men that have healed cripples, moral cripples along the way of life, have been men that went to the place of prayer and kept dates with Almighty God. So, quite a sensation. Nobody say anything against it. You know, I was talking to a lady not long ago, and she's from a school where they have a smoking room for girls. And she said, I understand that you students don't smoke. No, we don't smoke. Oh, I said, how do you keep from it? Just don't do it. You, you, can't say, you can't say anything against a woman not smoking. Now, you go to argue against a woman not smoking. Can you say anything against that? You can't say anything against a fellow not cussing. You just try to make up an argument against profanity. You can't say anything against a woman uh, being decent. You just can't. Try to make out a case. I think a woman ought to be crooked. Try to argue that. You can't say anything against moral principle little state. They couldn't say anything against what happened. What did they do? They said, uh, the bosses, the doctors of divinity, the chief priests and scribes and 
captains. Saw the wonderful sensation and they beat them. What you beating them for? You did a good deed, but you didn't have the right motive. Did it in the name of Jesus Christ. It's all right if you've done it in the name of education. Nobody objects to reform in the name of education. Nobody objects to reform in the name of social service. Nobody objects to making drunkards sober if you leave Jesus Christ out of it. Nobody in this country is against anybody doing it except Jesus. Man wants to do it. Study his stuff. Show what he can do. Man wants to do it. So there they were. Great sensation. Great scene. And they couldn't say anything against the good deed. Young people, listen. There's one thing a wicked world can't say anything against, and that's goodness and good works and decency. There isn't anybody on earth can say anything about your pulling a drunkard out of the ditch, getting him on his feet and fixing him up. Why, they know the devil wouldn't mind that if you'd leave Jesus out of it. The highest goal ever set before anybody was set for the devil when he told Eve to become like God. You couldn't have any higher ambition than that. But he told her how to become like God, and it wasn't God's way. When you start up your way, you wind up down in the gutter. And you start to climb to heaven in your own righteousness, and you'll fall off a ladder and go to hell. Devil's no animosity against ambition. Devil wouldn't mind your being decent if he could make you decent, except he wouldn't want you right with Jesus. So there they were. And they saw these fellows, and they said, uh, you heard his English? He used a singular verb with a plural subject, you know. We don't teach English like that. Now, wait a minute. Don't you think I'm giving you license not to use good English? I've known God to use men that never had a chance, but I've never known God Almighty use a man that had a chance and wouldn't take it, or could make a chance and wouldn't make it. You go out here and think you can get by just by, with the help of Jesus Christ without doing what you can, and you'll find you a mistake. So here they were. They said, you know, he doesn't talk like our tribe. You know, Dr. So-and-so doesn't preach that way. And no professor so-and-so didn't teach us that in school. And they observed that they were unlearned. They, listen, they had learning these men didn't know about. They observed that they were unlearned men. You know, as you get older, if you are reasonable, you'll be surprised how much some folks know what you think they don't know. You know, I've known some illiterate people that were not ignorant at all. I'd rather sit for my philosophy of life at the feet of an old woman that lives in a mountain cabin that can scarcely read but knows Jesus Christ than sit at the feet of any Ph.D. on earth that's never been born again. Listen, don't you be intimidated about spiritual matters by the scholars of the world. Don't talk to me. I know some things they don't know. 
I'll ask a scholar to explain the atomic bomb if he can. I'll ask him the meaning of a Greek word or a Hebrew word. And I'll ask him what this means in French or Spanish or Italian or German. But I know something Christian scholars don't know. I borrow a brain when I can. But you know, I know some things that these brainy fellows don't know. I've said it many a time, if I've ever had any success in this world, I've had it because I borrowed brain from the right people. I wouldn't go up to New York and walk down Broadway as I tell these students and find a fellow up there on Broadway that says, Old Possum, and say, Mister, I'd like to go possum hunting. Will you tell me how? I'd get out here in the woods somewhere and find an old country fellow in overalls with a cur dog that says possum. And I'd say, Will you take me possum hunting? The Broadway man in New York may tell me something the possum hunting mountaineer can't tell me. But the possum hunting mountaineer can tell me something that guy on Broadway never will learn. Some of the saintliest saints I've ever known that had the most wonderful vision I've ever known were humble saints. You know, I think a fellow's mighty ignorant that doesn't know how to pray. The greatest event in human history was the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. man that doesn't know Jesus was raised from the dead, he's ignorant of the greatest event in the history of the world. A man that doesn't know that the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses from sin may be able to measure the distances between stars, but he's ignorant of the most important thing on earth. They're ignorant and unlearned. They don't belong to our school. They didn't graduate now university. But they noticed something about him. They said, he's got something. Do you notice that holy boldness they had? And I'll tell you, they were bold men. They'd been in jail. Their backs had been beaten up. And they stood up there and said, You crucified Jesus Christ! You could have done this yourself, but you rejected your opportunity. Now, that's, that's big talk. If you think it's any little sissy job to stand for Jesus Christ, you're wrong. This is no job for weaklings. You know what's the matter with this country? We've been cutting the spine out of Christianity. Taking the red blood out of it. We've been carried along on flowery beds of ease. We've been told the way to do is to listen to the orders from headquarters and get a good job and be somebody. That's not in the Bible. You know what you need in this country? A holy boldness. Years ago down at Biloxi, Mississippi, they had an old-time camp meeting. Preacher told me this now as a boy. He said one night they gave an invitation anybody wanted to be prayed for to come up the front, and a lot of them came, and one old fella from New Orleans, a prominent Louisiana colonel, came up and got down on his knees and didn't even bow his head. 
looked up at the Lord like, if you want to save me, Lord, it'll be quite an honor to you. I'm Colonel so-and-so from New Orleans. Everybody knows me, and they're all looking at me now. If you'd like to save me, I'll let you do it, if it's any pleasure to you. Just up to you, though. It doesn't make any difference to me. I'm all right anyhow. But I just thought maybe you'd like to save me just to show off around this crowd here. And everybody whispered around, that's Colonel so-and-so, Colonel so-and-so, just get Colonel so-and-so, got Colonel so-and-so. And they went down to talk to him. They'd talk to the common people and get up close to him, and they'd get up the colonel and sort of back off and uh, say, uh, God bless you, Colonel. Another fellow come by and say, trust the Lord, Colonel. Another fellow come by and say, hold on, Colonel, hold on, just hold on. Another fellow come by and say, turn loose, Colonel. And up on the platform, there sat a little Methodist preacher, one of the old-time men. They were great men, those old-time preachers were. And so he kept twisting around on the stage. He couldn't stand any longer. He ran down and stuck his face right in the face of this fellow. said, Say, you know Bill Smith in New Orleans has been in jail about a hundred times? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I, I know him, doctor. You are mean on his. I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? I mean what I say, sir. That fellow was reared with a mother, a fallen woman, brought up in the slums of the city, never had a dog's chance. Yeah, you were reared in a home with a Christian mother, in a Bible in every room at your house, been brought up in the church, and here you are, an old gray-headed sinner at a mourner's bench. You ought to have been in hell long ago, and you're not even humble enough to bow your guilty heads, and there isn't anybody this mourner's bench as mean as you. The old man trembled like a leaf in the wind and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Say, do you want to be a hero? Just be a good Christian. It takes more courage to do that than it does to fight in war. Anybody can fight in war when you get him up the front. Colored fellow said he couldn't, Uncle Sam couldn't make him fight. Another colored fellow said, no, but Uncle Sam can take you where it's going on, then you can exercise your own judgment. <laughs> but that's deliberate, premeditated, foreordained heroism. It takes more courage to stand for Jesus Christ under all circumstances in this world than it does to lead an army to battle. When God calls the names of heroes, what a role it'll be. Just think of the heroes up in heaven that God has marked. Enoch, Elijah, Moses, Paul, Peter, John, this saint, that saint, the other saint. Why, when you read the records of the battlefields in eternity, this record will be preserved. And they observed that they had been with Jesus. They said, you know, nobody would be that brave that hadn't been with Jesus. Nobody could do that that hadn't been with Jesus. Nobody would talk out to us like he's talking out to us if he hadn't been with Jesus. They're a Jesus crowd. 
say we have disgraced and dishonored the name of Jesus Christ in our age by an anemic Christian. Courage. Heroism. You know, once in a while I meet a brave man. One of the bravest men I ever knew was William Jennings Bryan. Well, we were in Miami, Florida, in our campaign. He dropped in between times. His wife was sick. Had an hour between time. He dropped in to see his wife. Got a taxi and drove out there and stayed a little while and came back with a tabernacle. And walked up on the platform and sat down by me and put his arm around me. And said, Brother Jones, i got just a few minutes to make the train. But I wanted everybody around here to know I'm for this meeting. There's so few brave men in politics and so few brave men in Christian work. The heroes are scarce. When they beheld their courage and saw what they'd done and knew that they couldn't be stopped by their red lantern of an ecclesiastical, wave an ecclesiastical hand that wasn't right, they said they are brave men. They must have been with Jesus. When you leave here, I want you to use good English. You can. Don't make any mistakes in your grammar when you preach. If you're seen somewhere, I want you to have the best technique it's possible for you to have. Anything short of your best for God is a sin. It's a sin to do less than your best. If you put on a program in your church this summer, I want to be the best program the church has while you're there. And I hope they'll go out and say, listen, didn't she sing sweetly? And some music uh, teacher will say, you know, she has the right technique too. And didn't she sing beautifully? Oh, it just got hold of me. I hope they'll say that about you. And if you get up to conduct a service, I hope they'll say, well, you know, he certainly was at ease. He certainly did well, don't you think? Uh, they went to, he went to Bob Jones University. They teach him that down there. I want them to say that about you. But, you know, it'll break my heart if you go out this summer and sing like a nightingale or speak with the eloquence of Demosthenes and somebody goes away and says I didn't think about Jesus when she is singing I didn't think about Jesus when he is in the pulpit I heard a great sermon one day eloquent and powerful I was stirred with his oratory his command of words and when I got through, I turned around and said to a plain old brother by my side, I said, that was a great Simon. He said, yes, it was so great. I never thought about Jesus while he was preaching. That was not a great Simon. It's not a great Simon when a Christian preaches it unless the people think about Jesus. It's not a great song when a Christian sings it 
unless the people think about Jesus. I want them to say I observe that she's a Christian. I observe that he's God's man. When people drive down this four-lane highway and look at this place, I like them to say they have a lovely plant, haven't they? But you know, I'd like them to say, you know, this lovely plant belongs to Jesus Christ. Those are hill buildings. That's his auditorium. Those are his rooms over yonder. If there's any room on this campus that has locked Jesus Christ out, if you'll give me the key, I'll go unlock the door and ask him to come here. I'll tell him I'm the founder and chairman of the board. I'd have a little authority around here. If there's any place around here that isn't open to him, I'd like to know about it so we can give him an official invitation to come in. I want Jesus Christ to get a square deal on this campus. And I want you to be square with him when you leave here this summer. If you leave this school, go out in the world without suggesting Jesus Christ to the people you contact. You have not only failed as far as this institution's concerned, but you are a Judas's carrot. You're a double cross. Don't forget it. You know, we put in our catalog, last two or three years, hadn't been in long, some words like this. Attendance at Bob Jones University is not a right but a privilege. And any student may be asked by the administration to leave at any time, regardless of that student's open conduct. If that student's testimony in life, or not according to the administration, in harmony with the clubs of the institution. In the early days being advanced, this I used to hold on to. Try to fix them. Build them up, build them up, build them up, build them up. A few we held on to in those early days have been no special credit to the school. Got them on their feet. Gave them spiritual vitamins. Turned the light on them and gave them fresh air and sunshine. But a few of them relapsed. We don't want you to relapse. I'd feel guilty in hell if I were a student in Bob Jones University and didn't live my testimony in the summertime. If you don't live yours this summer, you sin against this school, against the board of trustees, against the faculty, against the Christian testimony, against everything the school stands for. against everything on earth for which we fought. You sin against all your fellow students. You hurt every one of them. 
and you sin against Almighty God. In the early days, we took through our school a young preacher, graduated. They pulled him into a certain modernistic seminary so he could stand in with his crowd. And he came out of the seminary with a package of cigarettes in his pocket. Somebody told me they saw him walking down the streets of the town where he preaches not long ago, puffing a cigarette. But the only thing I can say about that fellow, he's ashamed to tell him he's from Bob Jones University, thank the Lord. He tells them, I'm a graduate of a certain theological seminary. Puff, puff, puff. <laughs> he is too decent to admit he ever came here. Boys and girls, we're counting on you. Don't let us down. Don't let down the testimony. Please, don't. I want you to be true. Don't waver. Don't compromise. Don't trail. Be a lady. Be a gentleman. Don't be a roughneck. Don't bluster around and stretch your stuff. But if a time comes where you've got to stand up for Jesus, stand up for when they say, who's on the Lord's side? Step over and say, I. When they ask you if you love Jesus, tell them yes and mean it. When they say, let's go out and do so and so, tell them you're a Christian. Do it in a nice way. You don't have to be a roughneck. Just tell them you can't go. Don't fuss at them. Just tell him you're a Christian. It'll take courage. You'll be put on the spot before you come back here next fall. Every last one of you will be tested. I want them to observe that you've been with Jesus. And not only that you've been with him, but that he's with you. Don't let him down. God help you to be faithful.